Hi again, everybody. Welcome to the chatter, Colleen. This is episode number number seventy four. That's awesome. And we have two new guests. Oh, two new guests. Two new guests, okay. and we're gonna we're gonna introduce them after we begin in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Spirit. Amen. Amen. Remember, O most gracious Virgin Mary, that, that never was it known that anyone who fled to thy protection, implored thy help, or sought thy intercession, was left unaided. Inspired by this confidence, I fly unto thee, O Virgin of virgins, my mother. To thee do I come, before thee I stand, sinful and sorrowful. O Mother of the Word incarnate, despise not my petitions, but in thy mercy hear and answer me. Amen. In the name of the, the, name Father, of the Father, and the, the Son, and the Holy, Holy Spirit. Spirit. Amen. 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 Episode number 74, we are recording on Monday, January 23rd, in the year of our Lord, 2023. We've been trying to get this man on the show for since episode 40-something. I know. I think he's one of our most faithful listeners. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> the truth be known, Vince. The reason we want you on the show is that after every show, you keep calling Colleen and I up, <laughs> correcting us. <laughs> and, and Colleen said, enough already. Just bring him on. He can correct us on air. On air. So, he so, can keep us in line so right as it happens. Now, I don't even know if Vince needs an introduction. He's a Doesn't cla- all of Dubuque know Vince Mice? Yes. Does everybody know you, Vince? Well, a, a small part of Dubuque does. Mm. I taught at Wallert for 31 years. In that time, I met 4,650 different students, and uh, each of them had two parents. So, yeah, <laughs> gives me a, a, oh. and some what, familiarity with Dubuque. And what years were, did you teach at Wallert? I was there from 1974 to 19, um, 2007. Wow. Right. In wow. 2007, the um, chairman of my department came in and said, uh, there's a new rule and says, um, "Next, starting next year, if you do not, um, if the student does not learn, it's your fault. And so I said to, to him, thanks for telling me. And within 30 minutes of the end of that meeting, I submitted my resignation and I said, I will not say effective immediately because it might be difficult to replace me in <laughs> March. Right. But I said, don't bother to issue me a contract because I'll tear it up. Yeah. Well, you, after 4,650 students, you probably had a good idea that if someone wasn't learning, it wasn't on you. Well, the interesting thing was that um, students work for the people that they like. Mm-hmm. And I was reasonably well-liked at Wallard. And uh, every time that a problem case came up, I showed them that uh, according to the standardized test, that kid made more than one year's progress when he was under my care. I don't know what the other guys did, but he made more. So I said, uh, I don't know what your... The key performance indicators well, seem to say... Seem to say that... Um, well. He was doing well under me. Yeah, I don't know. I, I had you as a teacher at Wallert. I'm sure you don't remember me because mediocre was my middle name. But I have to admit, if I didn't learn anything in your class, it was not because of you. It was lack of motivation on my part. I'm telling you right now, Vince, I know I owe you an essay. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm telling you. 
I, you're not going to get it. <laughs> not turn it in. I uh, I started the um, I started the rumor that um, in my class there was no homework. I and, took it at face value. And the uh, <laughs> the student said, "How is that?" And I said, "Here's how it works. As long as you can answer the questions that I ask, then you've prepared well and you have no homework." As soon as you start missing questions that I ask, for you, there's homework. And they said, why'd you do that? And I said, well, I don't want to correct all those papers. But if you're well prepared, I don't have to correct them. I know you did your homework. And uh, so that that, uh, rumor got out, and uh, everybody wanted to get into my class. You have to realize I am not the smartest guy in Dubuque. Oh, I don't know. That's debatable. I'm, I'm saying I'm an average you are. guy that was given some uh, unusual chances. For example, at uh, Waller High School, Father Guter uh, hired me, and he gave me one prep, and my class repeated five times. Now, in exchange for that, I promised to read for him three to four hours each day to give me a broader base of knowledge so that I could answer the questions when one of the coaches who were spending all their time putting X's and O's on napkins instead of doing library research, when they came up with a question, I'd have an answer for them. Well, that gave me some advantages, and it gave me time to study. And um, So I, you were doing homework for the students or for the coaches? I was doing the homework for the coaches. <laughs> <laughs> so, 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 so wait well, a minute. I didn't have to do any homework all, all for... Of the, all the, most of the coaches are... So you're talking Varley and Colbert and Delaney? I didn't have to do any for Delaney. He did his own library research. Yeah, Delaney. What, so uh, Eddie Colbert, Dick White's is still alive. I, Eddie's dead. I don't think that uh, Eddie ever saw the uh, inside of a library. <laughs> But, you know, that's, the, that's just the way it goes. He'd, he'd ask Eddie, me, I want you to know, wherever you are right now, I'm pleading for you. I'm trying to help out. <laughs> we, but we, we just had a good time. He'd give me a, a question, and if I didn't know the answer, I'd tell him, I'll let you know in a day what, or so. So what were the nature of the questions? Well, some kid had asked him a question about history that he wouldn't know. Oh, you're kidding. And so, you know. And, and so Eddie's line if, was, let me get back to you? If, no, my line was, <laughs> I'd either tell him the answer or I'd say, let me get back to you in a little while. Now, what the students didn't know, as soon as um, <clears throat> the Internet became popular, mm-hmm. I um, subscribed that, this to wasn't, This wasn't 2004. I, subs- I subscribed to Britannica Online. And if okay. a kid asked me a question, I'd say, I have no idea. Let me ask me in a couple of hours, and I'll see what I can think of. And then I would check Britannica and give them a proper answer. Or sometimes I'd just call the public library and say, if I call you back in two hours, can you look this up and tell me? And they could come back a couple hours later, and I'd say, well, I think this is what it is. If you go down to the library, you can look. Here's the call number on a book down there. And they, they'd say to me, honest to God. The public library or the, the Wallard library? The, the public library. And so well, I would always ask the reference librarian, I'd say, give me the call number and page where you found that. And the reason I did that was because... You wanted to look smart. The students thought that I had memorized the textbook because next to every question, I answered the page, column, and paragraph where the answer was. All right, Colleen, right now I've got this vision of Dorothy (laughs) saying, 
pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. <laughs> <laughs> and then does, if they next to the uh, next to the page, column, and paragraph, if there was a question about it, I wrote the number of the question. So I wouldn't have to turn a page. I'd just say to the student, did you look on page 54, column 1? And you say, what? I'd say, it's in the second paragraph. (laughs) (laughs) So the the kids thought that I had memorized the entire textbook. Well, we did think that you had a photographic memory. I will say that. Well, now, I did have one... uh, I did have one... um, thing that I uh, that I foisted upon the students that was uh, it was a purely a funny thing Kenny Herbst retired and when Kenny retired if there was anything that we picked up on the shortwave radio that was uh, news that we would shortwave you and Kenny are shortwavers oh way back okay all right I had a shortwave radio that would uh, was the size of a pocket uh, book yeah, I'd put it in my briefcase, and when I'd go to debate tournaments, I'd listen to the, you know, the opera from Sydney, or I'd listen to, you know, depending upon what time of the day it was, sometimes from Vienna. And the students say, what are you listening to? I'd say, I'm listening to the opera. And they'd say, where? And I'd just say, well, I can't uh, reveal everything to you, but I'll just let this radio uh, play for a minute for you. And they'd hear the opera, and I'd the, say... The Viennese opera from... <laughs> yeah, or, you know, sometimes from Sydney and sometimes from Moscow. So they were sure that I was a spy. <laughs> now, when Kenny, when Kenny retired... Colleen his, locked the door. <laughs> when, when Kenny retired, the, his daughter lived out, um, oh, near, um, near, I think, Hoover Moscow. Elementary School... <laughs> And she had uh, she had a, a house that had some um, columns on the front, and Kenny says instead of my calling Wallet, and then they have to send a runner up to your room to tell you to call me, I'll just tell uh, my daughter Nene to hang a red bath towel in front of one of those columns, and I could see that house from my classroom, and I told him I could see it, and I always kept on top of the uh, file cabinet the shortwave radio, and I kept a pair of binoculars. And every once in a while, at the end of the class, I'd just take a look, and if there was a red towel up there, I'd have to go down to the office and, or down to the faculty lounge and call Kenny. <laughs> and the kids went in, and they, they told Father Harari and said, Father, we know this guy's a spy. He's forever listening to foreign broadcasts, <laughs> and he he looks out the window and he, and he sees something. Or a red flag. And he and he and he runs down and makes a telephone call immediately. And he's he, got a picture of Joe McCarthy in his wallet. <laughs> he's he's reporting to somebody, and Father Harard knew the whole thing, and he said, "Well, thanks for the information. He never did anything about it." So the kids all all believed that I was a spy. I was not a spy. Uh, you know. I swear. Were you ever in that movie, The Third Man? No. It's <laughs> <laughs> one thing. I that never was you. Did. That was you off there. I, I never did the bald in, guy. in my life. I never watched any movies. Oh come on! No, you I don't know that movie. I, you do know that no, movie. No. Colleen, you've never watched a movie in your. No, I didn't. I didn't watch movies until I was much much older because. I wanted to read factual stuff. I didn't want to read the Hollywood version of something that wasn't really so. So, in other words, uh, you didn't watch the movie To Kill a Mockingbird. You read the book. That's right. Okay, gotcha. 
Okay, so I'm just an average guy that was given uh, some rare chances. <laughs> I'm just an average guy after that story. I'm just an average guy. Well, now, well, now wait a minute. Wait a minute. Now, because of all, all this reading that I had to do. Do you have parents? <laughs> my, my, when I started teaching, I said to my mother, how can you tell if a kid is lying to you? And she says, don't pay any attention to what he says. Yeah. I said, well, how do I know? She said, just watch his behavior, and the behavior will tell you what's the truth. And so, anyway, this all this stuff, Then, until I was 50 years old, she encouraged me to read everything I could read. When I turned 50, she said, well, now you should have something in your mind. And <laughs> so I now said, you can start talking. I hope so. She <laughs> said, now I want you to spend the rest of your life figuring out how you're going to transmit that information to the students and never just give them the facts. You have to give them your conclusions, but you have to tell them why you've concluded this and how it is reasonable. So when I was teaching at Clark, I used to uh, give the lecture and the students would say, you're the only guy that ever gives us a lecture with all these footnotes. And I said, well, you should have the right to look and see if I'm lying to you. And they were just kind of shocked. And then I said, now we draw a line. And I said, beneath the line, right, my says, and what's beneath the line is my conclusions. That's what the facts mean to me. And I said, you have to come to your own conclusions. I'm not telling you what to come to. But I said, my mother told me my job was to teach you how to think, not what to think. And that's so different from what we see in schools today. It's does your, does no. your mother know you're on the air? <laughs> my mother's long since in paradise or perdition. Because I feel like she's in the room right now. <laughs> now, was your mother a teacher? My mother was a teacher, yeah. Okay, so she knew that already. She had what subjects, dear? What? What subjects did she teach? Oh, she taught uh, elementary school. Hmm. So did teach a variety of stuff. Was that in Cascade? Are you from Cascade? Oh, no, she was teaching in Hickory Valley. You probably never heard of Hickory Valley School. Where's that? Hickory Valley would be north of, the... north of Dyersville. Oh, good. It's not in Russia. East of... Um, east of um, Petersburg. Well, no, east of New Vienna. Oh, east of New Vienna, okay. Yeah. Hickory who? Hickory Valley School. It was just a little one-room East school. of New Vienna? Yeah. All right, we want everybody out in New Vienna to <laughs> mail us, call us, let us know. Is he telling the truth? I've been, I've been out that way. Is that on uh, Highway 136? Yeah. But, um, but the Hickory Valley School hasn't been in existence for years and years and years. Mm, no it was witnesses. Just, it was just one of those little one-room schools. Mm. What was you know. Mom's name was? Kolb. Kolb. Well, that sounds legit. There's some Kolbs out that way. <laughs> uh, We're with Vince Mice. This is the chatter. And is he chattering, Colleen? He is chattering. And I'm sure people have recognized your voice, even if they missed in the beginning who we said we had on here today. I think that uh, you, you really have to, uh, I really have to thank uh, guys like um, yourself for the Rosary Rallies and Mark Hager for bringing the uh, Pilgrim Virgin statue to Dubuque. Because, you know, we are in troubled times. and um, Well, you told me something earlier that really caught me off guard because I was, I was not bragging, but I hate to be proud. We're not proud, but I was talking about 
2020-21 and 2022 in how the growth of the rosary rallies mm-hmm. with Aquinas Communications has been going on. And Vince is one-upping me, saying, oh, I was doing rosaries back in when? Yeah. Well, I did them right after I uh, stopped teaching at Wallard. I did them in the summertime. You did. And, uh, yeah. And down at the gazebo park. Down at the gazebo. and I was there. Then the uh, city of Dubuque wanted me to come up with a plan for if it rained. And how am I going to notify the people? And I said, I don't have to notify them. He said, what about if it rains? I said, The city well, of Dubuque wanted you to have a rain plan? A rain plan. And so I said, I'll use the Knights Columbus Hall. But I said, it'll never rain during one of those rosaries. And they said, why? And I said, do you mean to tell me the mother of God can't blow a cloud a little north or south of Dubuque or just hold it up for a few minutes? In, in all of those years that I did it, it rained once just a few minutes after the rally was over. And you played the virgin card with the city manager, Hans, and, you know, the virgin one. No, I, uh, I just said, well, and then they wanted to... Uh, uh, indemnify the city against any trash that would be left. And I said, there won't be any trash left. I said, praying the rosary does not leave beer cans all over the place. <laughs> and so the only time that it there even... There may be a few red towels out there, but... Other... <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, the, the only time that it ever rained, we had one at uh, Holy Trinity uh, Church one uh, summer, and... Um, we all went to uh, dinner at the Point Restaurant immediately following it because we held it at 11.30 in the morning or 11.15 in the morning, something like that. And We got to the uh, Point Restaurant, and it started to rain. <laughs> and that, if that isn't a testimony to the fact that the Blessed Mother takes good care of her own, she definitely can control the weather. As we see sometimes, as in, you know, 1571, she controlled the weather a little bit. At the Battle of Lepanto. At the Battle of Lepanto. (laughs) Our our, our guest is Vince Mice, and that's the fastest 18 minutes in radio, Colleen. Yes, it was. Man, that went by fast. Episode 74, we will be back in the KCRD studios right after these announcements. Hi again, everybody, moms and dads, boys and girls. We're back in the chatter. Our guest, Colleen, is the Vince Mice. Just wind him up and let him go. (laughs) (laughs) Our old teacher, American history. And we need to uh, acknowledge he's finally revealed himself, our producer, Abendigo. Uh, Yes. (laughs) (laughs) After after 74 issues of being anonymous. Mm. We, we now know him as a Bendigo. That's right. That's right. One of the things uh, when you were talking, Vince, you mentioned um, Kenny Herbst. Another just uh, what a personality up there at Wallard. And if I remember correctly, he taught the seniors civics or government. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and uh, he was a great teacher. And I would remember at the end of class, he would say, everybody caucus. I had no idea what that meant, except you could get up and move around and talk to people. That's a caucus. Right. Yeah, but Sure. <laughs> you learned that after, like, I don't know what caucus means. It just means you can get up and talk to people. Right. But I thought his great, great uh, quote of all time was, inflation, the debauchery of the currency. Do you remember him saying that, Vince? Absolutely. And um, 
you know, at that point, as uh, a high school student, you thought it was uh, a subversive observation. <laughs> and, and now in 2023, when they pass $1.7 trillion continuing mm-hmm. resolutions, mm-hmm. where's Kenny when we need him? Right, where is he when we need him? The quote I remember him saying was, women want to be equal to men. Why would women want to be equal to men? Why would they want to lower themselves to the level of a man? <laughs> I thought that was a great quote. Yeah. Well, I always, I always thought, you know, when that uh, question came up, I um, was asked about that one time, and I said, um, there is no painter, there is no sculptor nor artist who can be compared to the one who can form the minds and the hearts of the young. To reproduce in souls the living image of Jesus Christ is a work far surpassing the finest creations of human art. And that's what mothers do. Mm -hmm. They can't be priests, but they form the minds of the priests. Yep. And that quote was from St. John Chrysostom. That wasn't from me. Now you I, had a quote book, right? You and Kenny Herbst had a quote book that you... I had a quote file, yeah. A quote file. Yeah. Under the red towel. Probably, <laughs> <laughs> probably 35 or 40, uh, 4,000 quotes that we could remember, you know, right off the top to fit wow. the situation. You know, it's funny you guys are wow. talking about quotes because you know how I... I, um, I, I work hard and then I need a break and mm-hmm. something comes up on my left-hand screen mm-hmm. over on the computer. Mm-hmm. And somehow I just stumbled onto Napoleon Bonaparte quotes and I printed off a uh, hundred of them. But <laughs> this, this one stuck, it's at the top of the page and it, and, it, and it struck me this morning. It still does. Here's Napoleon. Never interrupt your enemy when he's making a mistake. Exactly. <laughs> we could we could go on with these, Vince, but uh, and we'll have to save these for the other shows. We will. Never interdu- interrupt your enemy when he's making a mistake. You bet. Well, let's do some current events. Yes. We've got a big event coming up as you're listening. So we're recording on Monday the 23rd, but this weekend, which is the 29th, 30th, and 34th, First, as you're listening, this will be either tomorrow night or tonight. Mm-hmm. Nativity Catholic Church here in Dubuque at 1225 Alta Vista Street is bringing in Father Greg Bramlage and the missionaries of the new evangelization each night at 6:30. So there's this is a healing mission. So anybody that needs healing, spiritual, physical, emotional, it's everybody, isn't it? That's all of us. Sunday night's theme is the blessing and the curse, choose life, and, and that's based, excuse me, around Deuter- Deuteronomy, the 30th chapter. Monday night, anointing with the Holy Spirit and power out of Acts 10, and Tuesday night, the battle is not ours, but God's from Second Chronicles. Father Greg Bramlage, 630, at the Church of the Nativity here in Dubuque. Some people might remember the past two winters, when Father Bramlage was in town mm-hmm. doing these missions at Nativity. Very popular, well-attended missions. We've been getting a lot of calls. What time does it start? About 6.30. And how long does it go? Well, on paper, it's 60 to 90 minutes. In the pews, depending on what happens in the evening, depending on how many people show up, it might go longer than 
90 minutes. Now, are you obligated to stay? No. But uh, it'll be a beautiful night. I would encourage all of our listeners to uh, bring a friend. Even if you don't feel you need healing, your prayers for those who do need healing are well well. well received. Mm-hmm. And it seems like everybody knows someone who has cancer or is sick or you know is depressed or anxious. Lots of lots of people out there with with needs of healing. So, but beyond the physical, stop by here. A lot of people who have uh, I, we've had a few calls, more than a few calls, about husbands and wives who have had difficulty in their marriage recently. Mm-hmm. This needs healing. Mm, true. Mm-hmm. Marriages need healing. Children who are not coming to the faith, mm-hmm. doing that. Yep. Speaking of that, that'll be the topic on March 15th at the mm. Grand River Center. Mm. The nuns, where have they gone? Vince, you know about this. Jesse yep. and uh, Terry and Jesse are coming to Dubuque Wednesday, March 15th. These are your big buddies with Terry and Jesse. Oh, Absolutely. Listen to them every day. That's right. Now, the nuns, not N-U-N-S as in religious women. Mm -hmm. You you mean the nuns as in no faith. Right. The N-O-N-E-S. Nuns. And thank you for taking my apostrophe. (laughs) (laughs) In In the advertisement, yeah, there was an apostrophe there in the print form. Right. So, the nuns, Wednesday, March 15th, with with Terry Barber and Jesse Romero that you hear every weekday at 2 o'clock in the afternoon, the Terry and Jesse Show. They're coming to Dubuque, live from Dubuque, the Terry and Jesse Show. This is at the Grand River Center. It's Wednesday, March 15th. Tickets should be on sale by the time we're talking. We, I think we're so. just ready yep. to pull the trigger on them. Mm-hmm. And the title is The Nuns. Where have they gone? Are they ever coming back? Who are they? And we pray to God they're coming back. We hope so. Well, we're living in the age of the great apostasy. What do you expect? With, without a doubt, every family has uh, has members that have left the faith. Well, Vince family. just touched on something that we're getting some calls. People are asking, what is this apostasy you're talking about? Oh. Vince, go for well, it. Well, it's just the uh, falling away from the, uh, the denial of uh, revealed truth. And it isn't just um, the laity, you know, some of them. Clergy are also in, involved in some of this, so mm-hmm. you just never know. And in in all of our families, there are persons that we know that um, either are not ardent in their um, adherence to the faith or have fallen away. Mm-hmm. What's your long view on this, just because you're the oldest guy in the room right now, which is usually my position, Vince, but you take it here. What's your long view on that? that era of the apostasy when did you i mean can you give some retrospective thought on different stages of your career and when when did that apostasy that just jumped out of your mouth well when, when i did don't that first i don't know itself? i asked i asked um i guess it was about um i guess it was about the year 2000 mm-hmm. 25 I, uh, years ago i asked the um the Archbishop, I said, how come when I tried to induct some uh, freshmen into the uh, Columbian Squires that they couldn't answer some basic questions about their religion? And um, when I asked him, um, I, I was um, not very tactful. And so, so unlike you. I, uh, I said, well, 
I said, I asked them questions like, um, there are some sacraments, could you name four? They couldn't. I said, there are some commandments, could you name six? Mm-hmm. They couldn't. I said, there are precepts of the church, and they said, what are they? And uh, so I said, um, is it your considered opinion that uh, this should be looked into, or is it your considered opinion that these souls aren't worth saving? Now, needless to say, he never sent a response to my letter. But part of that was because I was lacking in tact, and I should have, you know. I was told later that, uh, well, the bishop took a look at that, and he said to, you know, one of his deacons or somebody, go out and take a look at this. And he thought it was taken care of. Mm. You know, take care of this. Sure. Well, But it never was because... We didn't have um, good, legitimate teaching of uh, religion at Wallert for many, many years. Well, yeah, I was going to say it was way before 2000. Well, um, some of you may remember Father Brian Dellert. Mm-hmm. When he came in as a um, as a sophomore, he said to me, um, this is what I heard in religion class today, but I don't think that's right. And I said, you're right. And he'd say, well, tell me where in the Summa Theologica Thomas Aquinas deals with this. And then I would give him the um, question and the uh, the objection and then the proper response. Did you call the library? I didn't call the library. <laughs> I just looked. In my... He probably knew it already. I just, no, I, lo- I looked in the um, confraternity edition of My Way of Life. Mm-hmm. which I used to give to graduating seniors. I'd say, well, you're going to encounter a few questions in life. Better that you have a good answer than no answer at all. And uh, they uh, thanked me. You know, the um, the uh, Catholic bookstore used to just, Knipple just loved me because I, I'd come down and I'd say, I need, you know, like 10 of these. And they'd say, oh, wonderful, we'll have them for you. Mm-hmm. And then I'd just give them to them as graduation presents. But the great apostasy, the great apostasy started a long time before that. Because I went to Wallard, I started there as a freshman in 1978, and at that time, I knew that one of the priests there who was teaching religion told his class that they didn't have to go to church on Sunday if they didn't want to. Yeah, there was there was a lot of uh, so that was late seventies. So anyway, dear uh, Brian walked into class the next morning and said, now, sister, do I understand you correct? This is what you said, and she said, yes. And he said, well, Thomas Aquinas says, and he gave him him the right out of chapter and verse, and he said, I don't know about you guys, but I prefer to believe the saints. Wow, a high school kid. And he reduced that dear uh, sister to tears. I said to him, that's not in Christian charity. I said, you could have told her in the hallway. <laughs> and he said, so no. So he did this in class. Yeah, he said, no. If she said it in front of the class, then I had to correct her in front of the class. Now, if she had said that to me privately, then I could have told her in the hallway. Well, now, isn't well, that so I that's said, amazing for a high school kid to say so, all that. So I asked him about that, and then he was the guy that pointed out to me that— um, when the um, emperor allowed a, an entire village to be uh, wiped out because of an insurrection, that uh, Ambrose, the uh, bishop of Milan, said to him, 
you will confess and you will confess one sin only. The sin was public, the confession has to be public, and the absolution has to be public. All the other sins you can confess to me privately, but that one you must confess publicly so that they see that you have been repentant. And this is Bishop St. Ambrose of Milan. That was Bishop St. Ambrose, Mm -hmm. yes. Which is why we often say that any um, priests or bishops or politicians that claim to be Catholic that publicly are in favor of abortion, they need to publicly repent. Exactly. They can't just in a private letter say it. Exactly. So, you know, I mean, it's just one of those things. That's why um, we got into public... um, rosaries of reparation because the sin of America is public and you have to make reparation for those public sins. Mm. And uh, that's why it's so important that we have public rosary rallies. Yep. Yep. Well. And we have them on the first Saturday of the month. Yeah, we yeah. do. And I, we're coming up on February uh, 2nd. Is, is No. We are. On uh, February, February uh, 4th. Uh, Fourth, and that one is going to be in Guttenberg. Wow. Just up the river. Just up the river. We'll see what the groundhog says about that. Oh, that's right. No, well, that's on February 2nd. It's Groundhog Day. Well, right. But, but February right. 4th. Yeah. We'll see if he has seen his shadow on the 2nd. Oh, yeah. Okay. Wow. Well, Vince, you lit him up on that. What else do we have, Well, speaking of Brian Dellert, who many people now know as Father Brian Dellert, at, pastor at St. Joe the Worker, we're looking at the Archdiocese of Dubuque Seminarian poster. So a lot of these um, young men on this poster, I'm noticing, are from Cedar Rapids. And I'm, I'm just wondering, what's going on in Cedar Rapids? Uh, different parishes. We've got St. Pius X, All Saints, I see. Um, St. Patrick's, St. Joe's and Marion, I see St. Wenceslas. What's going on in Cedar Rapids that they are producing so many seminarians? Gotta love it. Gotta love it. Do you think it's the high school down there? Who knows? Well, we'd have to think there's something on on that point. Because, I mean, there's no Dubuque guys on here. I was double-checking, and I think you're right. No, I don't see anybody here from Dubuque. So, anyway, I just thought, huh, I wonder... We should ask those. I'm going to throw this out at you, Um, the um, question of priestly vocations and to the religious life come up frequently. But I had a conversation with a couple of fathers, husbands, dads, about, about vocations. And we always, always pray for priestly vocations, Mm -hmm. and rightfully so. Mm -hmm. But I don't know what the prompting was, but... I spoke up and I said the the real dearth of vocations is holy matrimony. Mm. Mm-hmm. Here's my spin on this, Vince. One, people are delaying marriage if they get married at all later in life. There's an awful lot of of uh, living together, otherwise known as fornication. Mm-hmm. And uh, if they ever do get married, uh, the childbearing age seems to be closer to the 30s years old of the couples as opposed to the 20s and then the average size of the family is smaller Mm -hmm. now i've heard some people say that well smaller families lead to fewer vocation i don't i don't think that's the issue so much as it is that smaller family there's just a number of families that are choosing not to have children they're 
quite frankly, they're contraceptive. Mm-hmm. How about the um, vocations of the children are significantly impacted by the faith of the parents? And if the parents aren't deeply faith-filled people, then the uh, children would say, why become a priest or a nun? I got it. Vince Mize is our guest right now. We're at the end of segment two of episode 74 of The Chatter. We'll be back to wrap things up in segment three right after this. We're back in the studios of FM 98.3 KCRD. This is The Chatter. I've got Colleen with me. Yep. As and always. Vince Mice is with us. Abendigo is running the board. And uh, you can hear us on the Aquinas Communications mobile app, keyword KCRD. Take us anywhere at any time and play us on demand. Mm-hmm. Lent's coming up in February on the 22nd yep, of February. Yes. And somehow, Vince, you and I were talking about Catholic uh, mysteries, the Shroud of Turan, the... Uh, yeah. The Ark of the Covenant, uh, all of these kinds of things. And I didn't know I was setting you up that you had <laughs> some background on this. What do you got? <laughs> well, on uh, January 3rd, uh, LifeSite News uh, reported a, that a trained doctor uh, was explaining the scientific evidence in connecting the Shroud of Turin to a supernatural event. And he said that... Um, the blood type on the Shroud of Turin and the um, blood type on the Sidarium. The Sidarium of Oviedo was the, um, was the napkin that uh, covered the head and uh, uh, from the nape of the neck to the uh, forehead of Christ. And he said that the blood type was the same on both of these. And he said, uh, science can't observe the supernatural, but it can observe the effects. And the effect is what the Shroud of Turin is. And so then he went on to... So just to interrupt you for a minute, if people don't know what the Shroud of Turin is, you've explained the sodarium, the, the oh, head the, napkin. The Shroud of Turin is the purported burial cloth of Jesus Christ. The sodarium was, you know, if you um, read the gospel, it says that um, St. John took a look in and he saw the the uh, sodarium rolled up in a, by itself in a place. Now, this would indicate that it wasn't uh, grave robbers. They would not have rolled it up neatly and folded it and put right. it there. And uh, so uh, that's... Um, so well, then there, the Shroud a, of Turin is what they wrapped the body, the body of in, Christ in when in, they put when him they in the tomb. Okay. So what's the, what's the back story, though, the, the, the uh, wrapping of the... Face cloth. The na- they call it a napkin. In yeah, so they many call ways. it a napkin. But wrapped it up here. And I'm trying to remember, was it Brian Petrie or uh, mm. John? Um, what's his name? But anyway, he made the, the analogy that if you're at a, a restaurant and your table napkin, and you leave the table, and you're and coming back, the, the waiter will fold, roll up your your napkin in anticipation of your return. But if you're finished with the meal, never to return again, you just right. cast it haphazardly. Right. And John and Peter, on seeing the 
Sidarium inside the temple on Easter Sunday morning understood that to be a sign that Christ Christ signed to them that he, that was, he was coming returning. back. Mm-hmm. He was right. coming back. Mm-hmm. The Shroud of Turin is a fascinating topic. Oh, yeah. and you don't often hear about the, say it again. About Sud- the Sudarium? Sudarium. Right. Well, Dr. French, this was the uh, the French doctor. Dr. French's favorite Eucharistic, he had, he had visited uh, Turin, mm-hmm. and he had visited Lanciano, but his favorite one is in Poland in... Um, 2008, because under an electron microscope, you can't tell where the heart tissue begins and the um, the uh, bread ends. Okay, so we're talking the Shroud of Turin, which is the burial cloth, and right. then this doctor is comparing it to, when you say Lanciano, you're referring to the Eucharistic miracle that right. happened very early, maybe 8th century, right. where the host turned to, to flesh, flesh, and the uh, blood, or the wine and the chalice turned to, to, blood. to blood. And it's preserved. It's preserved to and this day. And it liquefies. Day, to this day. To this it, day. Yes. And so then you're saying um, the shroud and Lanciano, and what was the other in Poland, And, and the said. one in Poland. Now, here's the thing. Not only those, but in 1996, there was a a Eucharistic miracle in uh, Buenos Aires. And in 2006, there was one in Mexico. And in all of these, in every one of them, it's always blood tissue from the left ventricle of the heart and... When they're when they're sent to a uh, a good forensic pathologist, he also tells you that the person that this came from was severely traumatized before he died, and he know that because the um, because the um, blood cells are uh, indicated. It's indicated in the white blood cells somehow mm-hmm. that um, you know severe stress. Right, and in every case, blood type A B. Right now, is that a is that a common blood type? About three percent of the population. Three percent. So I would mm. not say that was common. No. So a rare blood type. Rare blood type. Mm. Now, are you ready for the next big one? Yes. All right. In 1981, a gentleman by the name of Ron Wyatt, W Y A T T, located what he believed to be the crucifixion site of Jesus Christ. Mm. Calvary. Calvary found the square depression in the surface material into which a cross could have been placed, and he found the plug that the Romans would put into these places because they didn't want them to fill with debris when it came time for the next crucifixion. It was all ready to go. Mm -hmm. At the death of Christ, he said there was um, an earthquake, and we can find that, and that the blood of Christ, when... um, when Christ's body was pierced with a spear, because we know that the um, the Romans didn't uh, kill a guy early because they wanted maximum suffering, but um, when they um, when the uh, side of Christ was pierced by the spear, that there was an earthquake and the blood ran down through the crack in the rocks to the cave of Jeremiah down below. And this is about, oh, I don't know, 60 feet down. And it fell on the right side of the uh, mercy seat of the Ark of the Covenant. 
Okay, so hold on. Let's just unpack that for a second. I have never heard that Jeremiah was buried underneath Calvary. Well, okay. Well, if you, if you go into some... Now, Ron Wyatt was not believed. He was poo-pooed by all the archaeologists because he didn't have the degrees. And um, he was an amateur. Okay. But the facts speak for themselves. And he found all sorts of things. He said he found the place where the... Um, where the Egyptians were all uh, swamped in the in the Red Sea, because uh, at the Exodus, in the Exodus, and he found all of the um, chariot wheels on the bottom of the hmm. sea. Hmm. Okay, he said that he found um, Sodom and Gomorrah. He said that he found uh, the Ark. Of the, he found the um, Noah's Ark, and you know all these people said, "Ah, oh, no, you can't believe this guy." But biblical archaeological review. Uh, more recently has uh, been saying, yes, there's some uh, there's something to the uh, discoveries of this Ron Wyatt, even though he wasn't an archaeologist. And um, you just never know. You can't... Uh, okay, so then going back to the story, and the blood of Christ went down the cross, and it went into the ground, and it landed where? Where? It landed on the right side of the mercy seat. And what's the mercy seat? The mercy seat is the gold lid on the top of the Ark of the Covenant. And what's the Ark and of the, the Covenant? The Ark of the Covenant was the um, the box that was supposed to contain the um, manna from the desert, mm -hmm. the uh, Ten Commandments, mm -hmm. and the uh, Staff of Aaron. Mm. And I thought the Ark of the Covenant was gone missing. Well, nobody knew where it was. Right. But he thought that he found it, and he later said that um, that um, a um, an angel told him to take a sample of the dried blood for analysis, and so he did. And so he took this to a laboratory that the um, Bureau of Antiquities. Uh, in Jerusalem said to him, well, here's a reputable lab. So he took it there, and he said, uh, what can you tell me about this? And the guy says, well, that's all dried up blood. That's dead. We can't tell you much from that. And he says, can you reconstitute it? And um, the guy says, yeah, but it'll take 72 hours. So he did, and he reconstituted it. And he says, I want to be here when you analyze it. So he came back, and they analyzed it, and they said it's human blood. This is all right. What else can you tell me about it? They said, "Well, we can't um, we can't uh, do any uh, DNA uh, analysis of this because we can't find. We can only find one strand of the DNA, and it's a double helix." So he says, "We don't know what this is. Where'd you get it?" And he says, um, "Well, can you tell me anything else?" And they said, "Well, we don't know." And he said. Um, can you tell me, um, can it be um, further analyzed? They said, well, we have to, it'll take 48 hours and it has to be in room temperature and <coughs> a couple of other things. He says, do it and I'll uh, come back and we'll take a look at it. And at that time when he uh, looked at it, he said, this is like nothing we've ever seen. Hmm. And he says, what do you mean? And they said, well... Um, it's only got 24 chromosomes. 
And every human being has 46 chromosomes, 23 from the mother, 23 from the father. This has 23 from the mother and one from the father. Fascinating. We can't explain that. Hmm. Now, the interesting thing is they find the same thing when they do the chromosome count on all these Eucharistic miracles. Mm-hmm. And so this is, uh, this is almost uh, conclusive. Now, if you, if you um, go in for uh, scientific stuff, you can, um, you can probably look at, um, who's that Jesuit, uh, Father Spitzer's universe? Right, Robert All Spitzer. Right. Robert Spitzer has a, has a program on YouTube. It's about four years old. And he goes into all of these things. He goes into one other interesting thing. Which is? And that is that on the eyelids of the man buried in the um, Shroud of Turin, they had difficulty dating it because they got the samples from the uh, patch instead of from the original material. Well, the coins don't lie. Mm-hmm. And they were issued in 29 by Pontius Pilate. Hmm. Fascinating. Hmm. So, and, uh, you know, you can, you can look at this. So he says, um, you just never know. Now, when you look at the um, sudarium, you say, is this authentic? Well, you know how they do when they compare fingerprints. If you don't have a complete fingerprint, mm-hmm. they can identify who the person was. They have to have 29 points of uh, congruence. Right. And if they have that, the courts will say that's the, the same one. Okay. When you look at the sudarium and you look at the, um, at the uh, Shroud of Turin, you find that there are um, 50 points of congruence and one in the front and uh, 70 on the back or vice versa. So it's 120 points of congruence. Wow. They had to be on the same body. Hmm. Wow. Hmm. People don't always think about this stuff. Our guest is Indiana Mice. <laughs> <laughs> and then you're listening no. to Raiders of the Lost Chatter. <laughs> oh. I had not no. heard a lot of that, and I do I am interested in the Shroud of Turin. I yeah. think that's fascinating. Oh, the guy for the guy that um that convinced me that the absolute authenticity of it was a guy by the name of Dr. Max Fry. Have you ever heard of him? You heard mm. of Bill Fry? Yeah. I asked Bill if he was related to Max, and he says, no, I'm not related to Max <laughs> Fry. Max Fry was from Switzerland. He was a forensic uh, pathologist, and his specialty was, um, was pollen. And he found on the Shroud of Turin, when he looked at it, he says, can I, um, he said, they said, well, what do you want? He said, can I submit it to a test? They said, well, we don't know about that. He says, I won't use a vacuum cleaner because that is way too, way too invasive. For the? For the shroud. Wear and tear on the shroud. He said, I'm going to use what would be, uh, we would understand it to be, um, what's this tape that painters use so that you don't... Um, oh, yeah. Oh, the big blue tape. <laughs> no, well, mm-hmm. okay. But he says, I'm using some that is uh, only half as sticky as it normally is. 
and he says it's specially prepared specifically for this project. It's not Gorilla Tape. No. No, not And so he got some pollen from there, and he found out that there was in the Crown of Thorns area, there was pollen that could only have come from the Middle East and that the plant was common near Jerusalem and it had since become extinct. Hmm. Could not have been added later. Hmm. That's an interesting point, Colleen. Hmm. I wonder, was, was Christ buried and wrapped in the shroud of Turin with the crown of thorns intact? Well, at, some of that pollen might have fallen on it. He's still know. on his we head, right? We don't know. Hmm. But if they found that pollen on the but shroud... Is, isn't the crown uh, of thorns kept somewhere? Somewhere. It was, kept, France, it was it? kept in France, yeah. It was not a crown like we think of a crown. It was more like a cap. It was more like, um, what do they call that little cap that the bishop wears? Mitre? No. Yam- no Yamaka? No. No. Oh, no. <laughs> not the Beretta, the... Uh, the no, oh, yeah. You just had it. Yeah. And I've lost Zucchetta. it. Zucchetta. Okay. But, you know, it covered the top of the head and all the way back to the nape of the neck. And, you know, mm-hmm. so it was very interesting. For uh, If you want, if anyone wants more information on the Shroud of Turin, I just watched a long YouTube um, on, uh, on the Shroud of Turin with Father Andrew Dalton. And it was on the Pints with Aquinas YouTube oh, yeah. channel. Yeah. So if you go to YouTube and look up the channel Pints with Aquinas um, and Shroud of Turin, um, it'll come up. But it's over three hours. But it was fascinating. This Father Andrew Dalton uh, is an expert in the Shroud, and it was really fascinating what he had to say. Absolutely. Now, what's all this lead to? It leads to we're in an age when we have to be praying the rosary more and more. And the rosary is the most powerful uh, prayer that we can pray on an individual, personal basis to affect some outcomes. And um, I don't know, some of the younger um, listeners may not have recalled this tune, but there was um, there was a tune by Nancy Sinatra called uh, These Boots Were Made for Walking. Oh, yeah. And, and that's just what they'll walk do. Walk all over you. One of these days. And we have, we have in heaven a mother who wears walking boots, and she's going to crush the head of Satan. And um, just take a look at it. You just have to connect the dots sometimes. 1517, Martin Luther divides Christendom. 1531, Our Lady of Guadalupe um, gets more uh, converts to Christianity then to Catholicism, then the division in Europe lost. 1571 at the Battle of Lepanto, the um, the um, image of Our Lady of Guadalupe is on the masthead of the uh, of the commander leading the fleet. Um, 1683, uh, Jan Sobieski rescues uh, Vienna at the gates of Vienna. And Jan Sobieski also, um, that came as a result of the many, many uh, people praying the rosary almost day and night. And um, in 1957, the Soviets just suddenly left Austria, and there was no explanation. They could not explain it. But if you go to americaneedsfatima.org, they'll provide you the, um, the story behind that. Up to 10% of the people... 
in Vienna and other um, places in Austria were out and they praying the rosary every night. Great examples of the power of the rosary. <clears throat> Colleen, we got to wrap this up here. Vince is uh, taking us into segment four. And well, we, we'll have to have him back. We will. Before uh, Ash Wednesday, I think. Yes. <laughs> our, our guest is Vince Mice, along with Nancy Sinatra. <laughs> How did you sneak her in here? <laughs> and Colleen Pasnick. I'm Tom Oglesby, and this is The Chatter. In the name of the Father, Father and, the and the Son, and, and the Holy Spirit. Spirit. Amen. Glory, Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, beginning is now, now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Tune in again next week. We love you.